Hi everyone, it's Howard Schweitzer from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and I'm here in New York with my colleagues Katie Schwab, who runs our New York City practice, and Rose Christ on our New York City team. And we usually get together on the road to the midterms to talk about what's happening in D.C. and what's happening politically as it relates to people running for Congress and, and, and the Senate. Um, but today, I thought it would be useful for us to get together and talk about New York City, where we have a thriving practice and have our finger on the pulse of, of what's happening in New York. So, uh, Katie, why don't we start with you? What's, what's the political climate right now in New York City? How do you size it up? What's happening here in the Big Apple? Well, there is a lot of activism happening in the um, city right now. There, um, the progressive movement seems to be alive and well. The council has just adopted some very broad-reaching um, legislation regarding uh, new business, the businesses that were hailed as the disruptors, the Airbnb, the for hire vehicles such as Uber and Lyft, um, have all been uh, faced with some very aggressive legislation from the city council that um, would like to really take a pause on the way those industries have, have changed the way business is done. And they're looking very carefully at the impact on uh, causes that are really dear to the to the progressives in the council and to, to many activists in the city. So the impact on affordable housing, the impact on um, employees' working conditions and their wages, um, the impact on congestion in the city. Uh, the council has really decided that they would not, they would prefer to make sure that those issues are addressed carefully rather than see these industries grow and thrive in, in New York. And so um, we're seeing some real tensions there, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Bros, what, what's your take? I, I think Katie's got hit the nail on the head. I mean, the progressive movement is definitely alive and well. We, in January, saw the election of Corey Johnson as Speaker of the City Council, facilitated in part due to the historic political structures of the city, the Bronx and the Queens County parties really playing an instrumental role there. But with the defeat of Joe Crowley in the recent congressional election, I think it's really shaken off that uh, that presumption of, of control by the, the parties themselves, um, something we saw happen particularly in Brooklyn after, after de Blasio's election. Um, we saw the Brooklyn party sort of weaken there, and I think we're continuing to see disruptors try and either change the face of the county parties or, or get rid of them all together. So why, why is that happening? I think there's a lot of theories out there about the, the challenges the county parties have had in, to adapt to the voices of the progressive movement, right? And, um, and the challenges individuals and, have, and movements have had in gaining access to the, a seat at the table. And I think that has led to a lot of discontent. And um, rather than the continued interest in trying to get a seat at the table, I think people are, you know, saying, forget about the table. Right, let's move this moving meeting somewhere else. Right, right. It's true. There have been there were incremental changes certainly made over the past four years in the previous cycle of the council. Um, but I think there are activists who are really not satisfied. I also think there's no doubt that um, the rhetoric and the tone that is set in Washington um, in the 24-hour media coverage of that has really inflamed a lot of people on the ground, and that that is really bubbling up at the local level here. There's a 
there's an activism, sometimes an anger, that is reflected in our, in our local elections and people are displaying sort of an impatience and a real desire to make, to make change at the local level in, in sort of uh, contradiction of what they see happening or what they perceive to be happening in Washington. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it, it's just very striking to me, the city, Rudy Giuliani is the mayor and, and Michael Bloomberg is the mayor and and it's like a 180 to de blasio and it just seems like the and, and the city's thrived in these mm-hmm. years and it seems like you know there's been a 180 and the city's still doing well i guess but it it's just such a the polar opposite of right. where we've been right it's true the economy does seem to be thriving overall certainly there are um who could be doing more well and, and a lot of there's a lot of work being done in, in both the for-profit and nonprofit community to try to address that the city's uh, crime statistics continue to be very low it continues to be I think the safest big city in the United States but um, you know but there are just are a lot of people who would like to see more done at, at the government level and why why didn't mayor de blasio have a real challenge um, last time around? It's a great question. I mean, I think that part of it is an event of term limits, right? So um, as a result of the term limits and also the quirk and the the Bloomberg years have provided some people the opportunity to have three terms instead of two, we, most of the city's elected officials will be term limited out of office in 2021. And so to make a go of it off cycle, I think, was less appealing than rolling out your term, right? And and trying to position yourself for the opening when when you're not challenging de Blasio. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that there was a clear path for, for anyone to run, certainly not to his left, but to the right, you know, there wasn't really someone who emerged as a business community's advocate in an effective way either. Right, I think that's exactly right. He seemed, and he did a, a good job, I think, of, um, you know, clearing up support with a lot of the labor unions. They're mm-hmm. incredibly instrumental early in the Democratic primary, um, and also in, I think, securing the Working Families Party endorsement. Mm-hmm. And so in a Democratic party in New York City, that's really important. Um, and certainly all of the other elected officials that Rose mentioned are looking for those endorsements later down the road, and so they didn't want to be in there with sharp elbows fighting for those right now because mm-hmm. their positions are um, coming to an end and they're looking ahead to the next cycle. Do you think he, I mean, I, I, my observation from, from D.C. is that he intends to take on a higher national profile is that something that, based on your view of the day-to-day here in the city, that you think is going to happen, is going to resonate with people or not? I, I think it is happening. I think we'll continue to see him seek this this different platform, this broader audience for his message. Whether or not that will be well-received outside of New York City, I'm not, I don't know, right? Um, I know within New York City, people tend to be concerned when they see their elected officials out in other areas, you know, making speeches and attending events and that sort of thing as opposed to here at home. Um, on the mm. other hand, the really challenging national climate, um, I think it gives people more, um, gives more leniency for people who want to go out and, and really talk about the New York City values, you know, outside of New York and, and um, 
I think he's gotten away with a little bit more of it as a result of that. Right, right. I mean, I, I guess one of the reasons that, um, one of the reasons Joe Crowley um, was was not successful in his race, or certainly mm -hmm. one of the things people bring up, is that he was out of the district so much, right? Now it's right. clear that the mayor doesn't have to run a race in New York City again, and so he can afford to be out of town. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that a lot of New Yorkers are, are thrilled about it, but he's not needing to run here again, and mm -hmm. so he can afford to raise his profile and that way. He's done an effective job, I think, at trying to uh, connect the, his activities outside of the five boroughs with issues that are relevant here at home. So his recent trip to the, the U.S.-Mexico border, right, tying that to the, uh, the children of, of the immigrants who have been uh, transported to facilities here in New York City. Um, He's been able to try and marry those two things, right? And I think he's, again, because people are so interested in what's happening nationally, uh, I think they've been more accepting of that kind of activity. That's true. So, I mean, it seems like as New York City goes, possibly so goes the Democratic Party. <laughs> I mean, Crowley gets beat. Uh, um, you know, a member of House leadership gets loses in a, in a primary. Who, who is Alexandria, and what happened there? I think it's a, another really important message about not taking anything for granted in, in an election, especially right now. I mean, I, I live in, in Joe Crowley's district, right? I, I work, you know, think that a lot of it had to do with a failure of the base that loves and supports Joe Crowley. Uh, to turn out to the polls, right, on a primary day. I, I think it really had to do more with turnout than about the, the uh, radical shift in the sentiment of the constituency. Um, and so I think there were a lot of motivated first-time voters, a lot of people who, you know, didn't feel direct connection with, with Crowley necessarily uh, who showed up, and then the folks that, that have historically supported him, I think, stayed home, not because they were disappointed, but because... Uh, I think that she wasn't taken as seriously as she should have been as a challenger from the get-go. Um, you know, it's you, there's no presumption, I think, for an incumbent anymore. Right. right. It's not unlike, of course, what happened with Eric Cantor exactly. mm -hmm. in right. Virginia right. several years back on, on the other side of right. the aisle. Right. And it's, I mean, it's, turn, I think you're exactly right. Turnout in primaries is a lot of what's driving the politics on the, left and the right mm -hmm. in this country right now. Mm -hmm. right. And it illustrates the contempt, I think, that people feel for Washington in general. So saying I'm really influential in Washington and I'm doing your work from a very important position is, is not meaningful to a lot of voters. You really have to spell it out maybe a little more, in a, a little more carefully in a more meaningful way to individuals, how that matters to them at home. Mm -hmm. so. And. Does she win? I mean, she wins. General? Yeah, right? Yes, no? Joe Crowley is not running for re-election. Re he has made it uh, plainly clear. However, he'll continue to appear on um, the ballot. Uh, can't take his name off of the ballot without you know running for a race in a different seat or, or dying, dying or, <laughs> or a couple of other extreme steps that he's indicated he won't take. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how many people show up to the polls on, on election day and vote for Crowley because it's the name they know and recognize, and those are likely the people who didn't show up on primary day. Mm -hmm. um, 
I kind of think we'll have a lot of confused Democratic, you know, straight down the line Democratic Party voters who don't see their the name of their guy on the ticket where it's supposed to be. Sort of hesitate there. Um, I don't know that it'll be enough to, to cause a major upset. But. Right, right. And what are her politics? Lots of people talk about, you know, the labels that she goes by. What What are her actual politics? Do you have a view on that? I don't, honestly, I don't know enough about her. She's so new and young, and I, I think I think it's safe to say inexperienced. She seems very smart, um, very ambitious, very energetic, um, all good qualities, but I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I know more about the individual policy positions she's taken throughout the campaign than I do about her political style mm -hmm. or her capacity to be able to maneuver the, the halls of Congress, right? right. So I think well. that'll be a, a big question mark is there have been a lot of promises made about policies, major policies that she'll seek to advance in this role. And so to what degree is she able to translate her success on the campaign trail to success in D.C.? I, it's a big, it's a big, uh, yeah. It's a high level of expectation for a young woman who's holding office for the first time. I mean, any freshman member of Congress or junior member of Congress, it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, who are you? I mean, mm -hmm. yes, you have a vote, but you don't get necessarily on the key committees. and. She has made a huge splash in the national mm -hmm. right. scale, right? No, so I that's don't know true. that it'll right. be analogous to other freshman members very of Congress, good point right? very she's good point highly right. although I think it's a it's a double-edged oh, totally she'll be a huge target slash, too right. yeah right. yeah she'll be a target I mean for people who are looking to stamp down that you right know, the progressive movement right. as either idealistic and impractical or, or contrary even to you know values that they hold right and what is I mean what kind of impact and this may this may be a bit of an unfair question but <laughs> what kind of impact is Washington having on New York these days. I mean, what? There's a lot happening. There's a lot that's not happening. Obviously, the president comes from New York. Hillary hmm. Clinton came from New York, sort of. I mean, <laughs> it's like, it seems like, notwithstanding the, notwithstanding the fact that the country is clearly divided, red and blue, and, you know, everybody talks about the coasts versus the kind of interior of the country. It seems like New York is the epicenter of national politics right now, in a sense. And how are people thinking about that up here? It's interesting. I don't, that's not the talk that I hear, right? I think, I think New Yorkers feel like we're outliers in terms of, um, Sort of values and politics and and where we think things should go nationally um i think we i think a lot of new yorkers expected the administration and the congress's policies to be armageddon for new york and that certainly has not panned out at least not yet and i will say i'm starting to hear more um you know from people inside government well we used to get a lot of federal grants and we don't anymore um, I think it remains to be seen what really the impact will be of the new tax law mm -hmm. and, and how that starts to trickle down. Um, you know, the real estate market, even the residential market in the suburban counties outside, that's definitely starting to be impacted by the SALT policy. So 
um, those are taking longer to hit us than mm-hmm. we thought, and regionally that will be important. But it's there's there's still the anger and the disagreement with so much that comes out on a policy basis, but in terms of practical impact, I haven't seen that much yet. I think it's played out more in the rhetoric than yeah. uh, it has in the actual, you know, dollars and cents or, right. you know, policy impact right. here. Um, we've been relatively protected, enshrined in the, mm-hmm. in the bubble of the five boroughs, right, yeah. certainly in the city and even in, within the state, I think, I think that there's so many additional protections, laws, regulations, funding programs established, right, for the for New York that we're able to, to sort of maintain things as usual for the most part so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we'll see if that continues. Right, right. But it's a flashpoint, right? It's a it's definitely a, a motivator right. for, for people. Right. Yeah, it's, it's as we were saying before, it has, I think, emboldened the most progressive voices because they feel that they really need to be a, a counterbalance to what if it hasn't come yet, it's it's inevitably coming from Washington. We so. saw some white nationalists come to um, Upper Upper Manhattan, the Inwood area, very recently, and do a big banner drop, um, anti-immigration mm. banner drop. And so that's an example of an outside group infiltrating the five boroughs into a, a highly diverse neighborhood um, comprised of many immigrant families, and also the area where I believe um, one of the facilities housing the immigrant children is located. Um, and that was met with, you know, a very strong counter protest. But I think, to the extent that we continue to see folks either from within our communities of who, you know, feel aligned with the with the Trump administration or with others who, you know, have values that are contrary to what I think most people consider like New York City values, mm-hmm. I think that'll continue to inflame the conversation. It'll push our elected officials further left. There's yeah. nothing to do there but respond firmly, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, you say New York views itself as an outlier, but I'm not sure that from my vantage point right. as the D.C. guy, I don't know that New York is necessarily an outlier, but because if you look at the urban areas across the mm-hmm. country, I mm-hmm. mean, those are the areas mm-hmm. that vote blue and right. the more rural areas right. are the those right. that vote red. And the separation is urban and rural more than it's yes, that makes geographic, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether you're talking about Seattle or Los Angeles or New York, like that's where the more progressive policies are coming right. from. I do think you're right about that. I just think New York is, you know, I think New York can be kind of inwardly focused. It's so big and it's, it's easy for New Yorkers to be almost provincial and their sort mm-hmm. of outlook because we are so big many people just think New York is the world it's the center of the world right. so I didn't I think it, it, was. Says, it says as much about the New York City temperament right. as it right. does about I didn't need else. to be exclusive yeah. of other places for I sure just, yeah 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 that's true um that's true. so what are I mean you, you referred earlier to the um uh, imposition of some limitations on the rideshare companies here on Uber the Ubers and Lyfts of the world mm-hmm. what what other kind of progressive, leading-edge policies are on the council's agenda? Because I think for people that may be listening to this in in other places, I mean, New York, Seattle or, or New York, San Francisco, they their leaders and other cities tend to be followers. So what else is out there that we may see um, New Yorkers, uh, that we, we, we may see other cities follow? 
There are um, a couple pieces of legislation worth mentioning. One is a um, significant expansion of the human rights law mm -hmm. that would extend um, employee protections um, throughout different types of corporate structures. It would really um, you know, ensure that volunteers are protected as if they were employees. It would extend liability back through Try franchisees. Trying to figure out how that's going to work. Up to franchisors. Joined by Ken Fisher, our friend and partner here <laughs> in New York. Um, the, the proposal would ensure that um, uh, parent entities were liable for violations um, can, that might have happened in one of their subsidiaries. It would, it's a very, very expensive piece of legislation that um, I would say is, is really an intent to um, you know, change a lot of corporate laws in the name of human rights protections. And New York City's human rights law is already perhaps the most expansive in the country. There are 19 protected classes, and um, it does far more than just protect against um, discrimination. It also requires reasonable accommodations and a good faith discussion about any of these issues related to your good, uh, good faith accommodation. So it's, no, it's interesting yeah. because in in D.C. we have a number of clients who we represent on labor policy issues, mm -hmm. and um, it seems like while some of that stuff has been rolled back by the Trump administration, that the, there are things are yeah up the slack yep, exactly they're picking it right. up they're running with the ball and it really shakes up the landscape. Right for companies doing business in those locations. Right. So that, that's a good example of something that's been proposed here and um, is being considered. Another example is there's a proposal, um, in, and it's seemingly intended to address the issue of retail vacancies. There are a lot of vacant storefronts throughout the city, um, but there's a proposal on the table that would require every commercial vacancy, which ironically would include even you know office space vacancies, um, as the lease was nearing its end, the uh, property owner will be required to offer a 10-year lease at, um, at some term. And if they weren't able to come to an agreement, there would be a binding arbitration by someone determined by the city. Um, it's, it's called the Small Business Job Survival Act, um, which is a kind of strange name for such an expansive piece of legislation. And um, again, it, it may, in fact, be unconstitutional, but it's just a kind of very overbroad, um, poorly thought out piece of legislation that um, people believe will help protect their neighborhood dry cleaners who maybe has been forced out by a rent increase, mm -hmm. but is a really simplistic and, and, and often inappropriate response to, to that very real dilemma in some neighborhoods. But um, that's another kind of issue that we're and, seeing. And it's a piece of legislation that's been floating around for 30 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and depending on where we are in the economic cycle, it pops up and then it goes away right. again. I think one of the other things that we're, we're seeing pop up more and more is about single-payer health care in New York State. So there's a RAND study that just came out recently that said, you know, it's feasible and that it could achieve some cost savings down the line with a lot of assumptions or, you know, conditions about some things that would have to happen along the way. But it's being heralded as, you know, definitive proof that single-payer could work here. And there's another bill that's been floating around forever right at the state level that's been passed by the Assembly by a pretty wide margin for a number of sessions, but it hasn't hasn't made it past the Senate in part because it's been um, Republican-controlled. Um, and again, we'll see what hap how the national sort of dialogue yeah, impacts our, our local elections here for right. the state Senate. Um, 
so that could shift. And yesterday, interestingly, this hasn't really been picked up in the press, but I was at a council hearing where they were confirming the nomination for uh, Mitchell Katz, the head of the city's health and hospital system, to join the Board of Health here in, in New York. And during the hearing, he was asked by the Speaker of the Council, Corey Johnson, if he personally supported single-payer health care in New York State, and he said yes. Katz said yes, personally, not as a policy for the hospital system. But it is a, it's a pretty <coughs> remarkable statement to get on the record. Um, we'll see. Ken, um, the Attorney General race here in New York, how do you, how do you size that up? <coughs> With the uh, recognition that this is an unusually volatile year, uh, we've seen um, voters make up their minds late, and we've seen uh, patterns of voter turnout that we haven't seen before. Um, I would still have to say that Letitia James, known as Tish James, who has uh, the title of public advocate, it's, it's kind of a hybrid ombudsperson for the city, um, and the position that Bill de Blasio has before he became mayor um, has to be viewed as the, as the front runner. Uh, she's a citywide elected official. She's a very um, uh, well-spoken, articulate woman with, a, with, with some credentials uh, for the job, although she's been a professional politician most of uh, her life. And she has engendered the support of the overwhelming majority of elected officials, uh, starting with the governor and, and working its way down. This will be a contested election. There are three other credible candidates um, in the Democratic primary, and the Democratic primary should be determinative because the Republican candidate um, was basically put in as a sacrificial lamb when they thought that Schneiderman was going to be running. The National Republican Party has put no effort into supporting him, and given uh, Trump's uh, lack of popularity in New York, the likelihood is that it won't be a serious race. So in the September primary, the other candidates are Zephyr Teachout, who is the, um, I would say, the most process-oriented progressive in the race. She ran against Cuomo in the primary for governor last time, law professor. Um, she um, lost but exceeded expectations in terms of percentage, although the turnout was a record low uh, on a statewide basis. Um, she has now uh, cross-endorsed with Cynthia Nixon, who is running against uh, Cuomo for, uh, uh, for governor, uh, the former Sex and the City star and education advocate. Um, there is also Sean Maloney, who's a congressman from just outside of New York. Um, he's an effective campaigner. He has good credentials, uh, happens to be uh, a gay man, uh, married and with a kid. Um, he has uh, $3 million in the bank left over from a congressional race. It's a little bit of an awkward situation for him because he's on the ballot to be reelected in November to Congress, and there will be litigation over it. An initial foray to stop him from running for attorney general was um, uh, withdrawn by the Republicans uh, just a couple of days ago, but they are now saying that if he... Uh, uh, loses for attorney general, they're going to try and, and block him from returning to his uh, congressional uh, seat. He's the only man in the race. The other candidate is a, is a woman, um, uh, uh, Leisha Eve, thought, comes from a prominent political family in Buffalo, um, worked on uh, uh, various uh, White House staffs, uh, had been close to the governor, a uh, member of the Port Authority, not very well known, 
not entirely clear whether she can raise the money to mount the serious uh, effort. But if anything, um, at least on a demographics as destiny basis, the votes that she's taking are votes from, from Tish James. So I think that the polling data shows a large number of the voters statewide uh, haven't made up their minds and don't know who any of these people are. But among those that have made up their minds, Tish is leading by a, a significant amount. And, and the only way that they're going to be, anybody's going to change that dynamic is to bring out some of the political baggage that she's accumulated over the time. So for, for all of you, if you're, if you're a company that's located in New York City or, or the surrounding area, um, if you're thinking about locating here, what are you, or, or you're doing business here, what, how do you, how do you take all of this political activity and what, like, what do you do with it? It's so, it's such a dynamic environment, such a challenging political environment. How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, you hire us, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. Um, Bill de Blasio will leave office in just over two years, um, as will uh, uh, about 40 members of our 51-member city council and a number of other officials as well. So it's the wild, wild west in terms of the impact that term limits has. But it also means that um, candidates for future positions are um, a little bit schizophrenic between what they believe the voters want, and they believe the voters have been moved to the left, and what they believe needs to be done in order to actually address problems that the city has. Um, most of them uh, came of age at a time when the city was turned around and the budgets were flush, and where they believed that the demand for people to be in New York was so strong that no matter what regulations they put on, that, that people were still going to, to come. Uh, so they, they have loosened the reins in terms of the uh, quality of life crimes that underlay the turnaround strategies under Giuliani and, and Bloomberg, um, where I think Bloomberg took it to an extreme and, and realized that if you didn't have to stop and frisk 800,000 young black people to bring crime down, crime went down even after they cut that by 90% under de Blasio. So I think that there's um, fundamentals in New York are incredibly strong. The city's population is at an all-time high and is growing by about 50,000 people a year. The highest number of people in the city's history are employed. Um, the tech economy has become the economy, and uh, New York is now rivaling uh, the Bay Area and Silicon Valley uh, for that, even starting to rival Boston for uh, biotech uh, investment. And we also have the what I believe to be um, a strategic advantage that um, we continue to attract talent from all over the world so that now 40% of the, of the city is foreign born, out born outside of the mm. United States, not just born outside of, of New York. So the fundamentals of the city, the fact that our financial institutions have adapted, companies like J.P. Morgan uh, doing phenomenally well, um, the fact that we've, ex we've gotten some of, rid of some of the excesses um, in the financial system have sort of been squeezed out. All of those bode well for anybody that's got a forward-looking company and is looking for a place where they can get the talent that it takes to succeed in the 21st century. On the other hand, what we don't know is whether it's a balloon with a slow leak and whether any of these um, small initiatives that the council is taking 
or that the mayor has taken or turns to the left that the governor may take, assuming he's reelected, which it looks like he will be, will accelerate trends. So is it a small adjustment, but we can kind of ride it out and continue to roll the, the prosperity? Or are we in, in a period like in the um, late 60s when John Lindsay took the city in a very leftward direction and it took us 30 years to recover? Hard to say. Katie. Yeah, I'm, I am concerned. I think, you know, we started out by talking about the Airbnb and the Uber and the Lyft, and I just think that hostility toward new ways of doing things that is indicated by those kinds of proposals are are troubling, right? I mean, it, it, admittedly, there's ways around them, and there may be there are other tech companies. There are lots of other things that are optimistic about the city, but, but it does worry me. There is a presumption that... Um, I see it over and over. There's a presumption that business is bad, that success is is something that needs to be harnessed or reined in, and that it's not it's not celebrated necessarily in public policy. And that that and is you know how there's a there's a tell, there's a tell. It'll it'll probably take us another year or so um, to see what it means. But um, we're going to get clobbered as a result of tax reform because of the elimination of the deduction for state and local taxes, which are high in New York. Um, as well as the limitation on uh, new mortgages uh, for homes uh, because our prices are so high. Um, yes, there are offsets. Uh, many people got tax breaks because of this, but in terms of uh, people's um, gut level check of how much am I paying in taxes and how much of a mortgage I can afford, we'll know in another 18 months whether or not more affluent people are in fact going to leave New York. Um, are they going? They're not going to Connecticut. They're not going to New Jersey because they're in the same boat. Those that, places that, are seeing it already. Yeah, we are. But in terms of uh, significant job losses um, and tax-based losses, going to low-cost uh, states of Florida, North Carolina, etc., or is it the case that um, folks who are doing well are doing sufficiently well that? having to pay a little bit more in taxes is not going to stop them from wanting to eat in the best restaurants and going to best shows and living in the most dynamic city in the country. Rose. No, I think I think it remains to be seen, right? I, I find the, the just the tenor of the rhetoric concerning between the council and, and business enterprise in, in New York. I think that there is a presumption that companies can withstand more small cuts than perhaps they really can. Um, and I, I, it will be interesting to see what happens if the city's financial picture does take a turn. I mean, many of the people that come of age in the city after, you know, recovery from major financial downturns, but there were bumps in the 08 recession that many of, many of these folks lived through and experienced, and those were painful cuts often to uh, discretionary programs and projects that are serving the most high-need New Yorkers, right? And so uh, how progressive elected officials or candidates balance both the desire to see a lot of government spending to subsidize service or support for high-needs populations against their desire to also uh, regulate and rein in the ability of businesses to operate and provide jobs and thrive here. It'll be, it'll be uh, I think, in a difficult um, chasm for them to straddle. Right. I mean, it seems like just economically across the country, we're, we're kind of in a rising tide lifts all boats 
phase. I mean, the economy's mm-hmm. booming. Mm-hmm. Um, employment is robust, almost so robust that not almost. I mean, robust to the point where companies can't find enough workers. So, yeah, I mean, at some point we're going to see things change and, and we're going to see a more challenging environment and it'll be interesting to see how New York City responds to that. Well, this has been great. Thank you guys so much and look forward to doing this again. It's going to be an interesting few months here heading up to, to November um, and we'll be watching what happens here because I think as we were talking about earlier, it's got implications certainly far beyond New York and we'll see what happens. But thanks so much for uh, talking with me. Pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.